0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the November 16th, 2014 edition of Season 2 of The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, the premier place to get all your sports news and information regarding the Yeshiva League. The Court Report comes to you live every Sunday night at 7 p.m., as well as an encore presentation on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Every week we will take a look back and a look ahead at all things Yeshiva League. Had a game this week? Let us know. Friend me on Facebook. You can send me a message. My name is Elliot Weisselberg. That's W-E-I-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Or you can like the Court Report fan page. You can also follow me and tweet me on Twitter. My name is yls Guy. That's Y-L-S-W-E-I-S-G-U-Y. Because if I don't know about it, we can't talk about it. A huge thank you once again to our sponsor, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn has been servicing the Yeshiva League for over a decade, and if you've won a championship within that period, you've already benefited from their amazing handiwork and craftsmanship. Please give Mike, Larry, and the entire gang a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your trophy and plaque needs. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, coach, official, analyst, but most of all, like you, I am a Yeshiva League fan, and I am humbled and privileged to be able to share the amazing efforts and accomplishments of these kids, each and every Every week with you right here on the court report on the Nahum Siegel network. If you have a smartphone and haven't downloaded the NSN app already, please do so. You'll have access to all of last season's episodes of the court report, plus this season's as well, and you'll be able to send in comments for each show. Please keep the comments nice, though, much like the show is about me not criticizing, degrading, or disrespecting players or coaches. Please be courteous enough to do the same. So today we're going to start off the show with basketball. Uh, the first Jewish Hoops America Top 25 rankings are out. We'll get to these and all of the games that happened this past week. We'll also preview the first in-season meeting between the After Hawks and the North Shore Stars, who have already met twice this season, or preseason, in the finals of the two tournaments that have already occurred this year. The Mag and David preseason tournament and last week's Cooper Invitational Basketball tournament. Speaking of which... Guess who we have on today's show, everyone? That's right. Finally, Josh Kahane will join us. Josh and I spoke last night regarding the Cooper Tournament, and I'm extremely excited to share with you what we spoke about. Now, one of the hard parts of the broadcasting business is knowing how much time you actually have to talk with someone and how long of a piece you can actually air. As a purist, I just love talking to people to see what develops, and unfortunately, or fortunately, it can go on well past the intended time target, what I had originally intended to be a 25 minute. Minute interview, ended up being a 50-minute interview. Uh, the even bigger problem was that Josh was such a great interview that literally I could not find a thing that I wanted to take out. So I came up with a solution. Uh, originally, I had intended for there to not be a show next week due to a very crazy personal weekend schedule coming up, but what I will do is I am going to break the interview into two parts. I will air the first 30 minutes of our interview tonight and the remaining 20 in a special half-hour episode next week. In this week's portion, Josh and I discuss the tournament, its inception, some of the exciting things surrounding the event, and we talk about the first two days as well as the Shabbos programming. In next week's portion, we will talk about my favorite Cooper moment, why Saturday night is the most amazing of the entire four days, and we'll dissect the semifinals and championships, and I give Josh a chance to take over the Words from the Wise segment for the week. Without further ado, here is part one of our interview. On the line with me right now for an interview that is now well over a year in the making, please welcome to The Court Report the director of the Cooper Memphis Invitational Basketball Tournament, Josh Cahane. For those who have been listening to me since my very first show last year, Josh was supposed to be the first guest interviewed on The Court Report. Uh, with this year's tournament being last week, we would have hoped to have Josh on to help us walk through the event as we broke it down. But as a fellow tournament director, uh, I'm well aware that just because a tournament ends does not mean that the work is truly over. I hear there, there was some excitement for you post-finals last week.
1: Absolutely. First of all, Elliot, thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, and I apologize for the year in the making, but it's great to be on the show. And we in Memphis certainly appreciate you and all of your fans who are interested in what's going on in Memphis and who support our efforts. So thank you so much for having us on.
0: My pleasure, Josh.
1: So as you know, just, uh, we had nearly 370 players, coaches, chaperones, and visitors who came to Memphis for the weekend. And while the tournament uh, ended with Hafter, as you know, uh, taking home the title, certainly there were post-tournament uh, plans, post-tournament events, post-tournament uh, uh, logistics that had to be resolved. So making sure that everyone got to their flights on time. We had some flight delays, some hotel issues, getting everything resolved, and everyone home safely took a little bit longer. So I apologize for not having been available last Sunday night, but I'm thrilled to be on the show this Sunday.
0: Not a problem. Everyone got home safely, I'm assuming. No issues?
1: From what I hear, everyone's uh, home safe and sound.
0: Perfect. So, Josh, now that we finally have you, let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did the Cooper Invitational Basketball Tournament get its start, and what is the weekend really about?
1: Well, that is a, uh, a long uh, question with a potentially long answer, but I'll try to, try to keep it brief and interesting. In 2007, a close friend of mine, Jonathan Wogan, and I were invited to fill in mid-year and coach the Cooper Yeshiva Maccabees high school varsity team here in Memphis. There was a uh, coaching change mid-year, and they needed some volunteers to fill in, and so Jonathan and I filled in to help finish out the year with the high school team. And uh, here in Memphis, we do not have the opportunity, aside from the Sarachek tournament up at YU, to compete against other Yeshiva high schools. Uh, The league in which the Cooper Yeshiva plays in here is a regular private school league, and there are no other Jewish schools in the area. And we thought it might be an interesting thing to invite two or three teams from cities that were relatively close to proximity to come join us for a weekend to have a little Shabbatone and uh, have some Yeshiva basketball. And so that first year, we invited the Yeshiva Atlanta from Atlanta, Georgia, Block Yeshiva High School from St. Louis, and TABC from New Jersey. How we came to TABC, I cannot tell you. Yeah. But it was wonderful. And TABC, led by Bobby Kaplan and Ushi Sullivan, came down for our inaugural event. It was those four teams, and we had a fun basketball event and a wonderful Shabbatone, really immersed in the Southern hospitality that Memphis is so well-known for. Uh, and literally within a week after the tournament ended, I had calls from schools all over the country telling me they heard about the tournament, they heard how exciting it was, and they'd really like to participate next year. So 2008 came rolling around, and the tournament went from four teams to eight teams. All right, so within, within literally day 2008 event, Ended. We had calls and emails from across the country from really some of the most prominent schools in the country and some of the most competitive basketball programs in the country telling us they'd heard about the tournament. They heard it was really a wonderful experience and they would very much like to be considered to take part in the year that followed. And so in 2009, we went to 16 teams. And though we have considered off and on increasing it even further, we really believe the 16-team format is a great format, and that allows for the most competitive basketball. It is large, uh, but it uh, we can continue to maintain the intimacy of the Shabbatone program, which is so important to us. And we've continued to have 16 teams uh, since 2009, and this year we just ended with our uh, eighth annual event.
0: So you have 16 teams. How do you choose which 16?
1: It's uh, (laughs) That becomes one of the most difficult aspects of the tournament because the last thing we want to do is to make any school or any team uh, feel like they can't be part of the tournament. But there are certain realities, and that is that we only allow 16 teams. So obviously the Cooper Yeshiva, who is the hometown host, they get a spot each year as the the Tier 1 champion from the year prior. They get an automatic spot. After that, it's uh, really a lottery. We send out emails uh, typically in January and February of the year Asking teams who are interested to please submit their application, letting us know that they're interested. And then we literally pull a lottery and we hope that we, uh, that we get a diverse group of teams. And we've really been uh, very successful and we're very pleased about the diversity of our, of our, uh, team pool we have teams from the west coast from the midwest from the northeast from florida from georgia from north carolina from texas from colorado and everywhere in between and not only do we have a real diversity in terms of the schools and uh the type of students that come from those schools but we've managed to put together a tournament that really has a very competitive tier one element and a competitive tier two so we've been very pleased with how things have have shaken out
0: We'll get to the tiers in in a couple of minutes when we talk about the event itself. I want to get back to the selections. I know you like to have a little bit of fun with this event, a la March Madness, with your own version of a selection show and a bracket challenge. I thought these were extremely creative additions. How did you decide that these needed to be a part of the festivities?
1: So I have to give full credit to those uh, who, who were the genius behind it. was not me. Uh, the bracket challenge was the creation of a very good friend of mine, Eric Schubert. Uh, and uh, as you might hear over the course of our discussion, most of uh, my friends, I rally and rope into uh, working on this event with me, and it really becomes uh, a fun event for all of us to get involved in. So anytime one of my friends mentions any idea he has, uh, that's usually a death knell for him as I then require him to not only participate, but to take a lead role. So Eric came up with the idea. Yeah of uh, creating a bracket challenge. That way we could have not only the players excited, but really get the attention of uh, anybody who is excited about Yeshiva Hoops across the country. Uh, he is a software developer for a Fortune 500 company that's headquartered here in Memphis, and he created the bracket challenge and did all of the uh, software uh, creation for it to put it up, and it's really it's really been a fantastic addition to the tournament. This year we had close to 400 brackets, uh, and it just adds another element of excitement. Every night after all the action ends, uh, Eric sends out an email blast to all the participants, giving them the rankings, giving them their best possible scores, uh, just like the NCAA March Madness, and it really adds an exciting element and just another another exciting portion to the tournament. Uh, as for the seating show, that was the brainchild of another dear friend, Kevin Braverman. He thought that we could really do something to start the excitement a little bit earlier. There's no question that as teams land in Memphis, uh, the excitement is uh, is already begun, but to get everyone really thinking even before the tournament and to get Memphis and our Memphis tournament, uh, the talk of the town, even before the tournament began. And as we noticed, most tournaments simply put out a press release or an email, here's the seating, but we thought it would be really fun to put together a seating show and to not only announce the seating in that format, but to break down the teams to help explain why we're doing the seeding the way we're doing it, to help teams understand perhaps a little better the analysis and the work that went into the seeding, and also to give teams uh, a little excitement about uh, whom they'll be playing when they arrive in Memphis and how that matchup uh, m- might be. So it's really very exciting. This year we had 2,000 people watching the seeding show. And wow. Let me correct that. We had 2,000 viewers. I can tell you that some schools watch together as a team, so I can't tell you exactly how many people watched it when we aired it at five o'clock uh, on the Sunday before the tournament, uh, but we had two thousand individual hits on the uh, on the seating show. So it really was uh, fun to make, exciting to make, and uh, was very well received.
0: So a real March Madness flair added to the Cooper Invitational tournament. Absolutely. Now uh, people can still see it, even if they, even though it's post post tournament, they can still see the show. Correct.
1: That's correct. The way the show was designed is that it aired at a specific time and it aired live as soon as you logged on to the website. After the seating show went through, it's approximately 20 minutes. It was then posted both to YouTube and to the website so that at any point you could click on and watch it. So if you go to the homepage of our website at cooperinvitational.com, you'll see a, uh, a little box with the seating show and you can click on it and watch it.
0: Now, I'm going to go back to, this, to that question. I'm going to ask the same question in regards to the broadcasting of the event. We're talking four full days of basketball that are being live-streamed, including a late Saturday night. What drove you to say, we need to get this online for people to see?
1: So the broadcast came in essentially two different levels. Uh, Initially, we thought it was important to share the excitement of what was going on in Memphis with the fans, with the families, and with the schools back at home. So even with our very uh, first year in 2007, even when we only had four teams, we did an audio broadcast of all the games. And that was something that Sarachek had been doing as well. And we thought it was important that for families and coaches and chaperones, and I'll dive uh uh, For one second, I'll take one step back. Obviously, the participation and the the element of planning that goes into the tournament on our side is significant. But without the partnership that we have with all of the schools and the parents of these players who are willing to partner with us by not only allowing their students to come, but by paying the entrance fees and the costs, uh, we couldn't do it without them. So we wanted to make sure that while we were doing our best to provide meaningful experiences for the kids here in Memphis that the parents, families, friends at home uh, could also share in that excitement so we initially started with the audio broadcast and in our third year in 2009 we decided we wanted to do something different, we wanted to really bring the excitement into the homes of not only people who were excited about our tournament but anybody anywhere in the world and so we were the first tournament to start the uh the live web broadcast both in audio and in live video uh and over the course of the past uh, eight years we've really perfected that and now we've gotten to the point where we actually bring in an outside company uh, who specializes in this type of uh, sports broadcast. They do the broadcast for some of the local uh, elite high schools and some college programs here and around the country. And we bring them in so that they can make sure that uh, they are not only providing the highest quality Live coverage, but that all the games could be archived on the website so that teams can go home, back to the hotel, have dinner, shower, and then watch not only their game, but perhaps watch the game of the opponent who they might be playing the next day. And even now, after the tournament's over, kids, coaches, friends can go back on the website. and remember the excitement of Memphis
0: listeners can do that too. So, hint hint to everybody who's listening to the show, you can go afterwards to the website and pull out any game that you want that happened this year on the Cooper tournament. So, I'm going to uh, I got to commend your entire crew. As I told you last week, I was pretty much glued to my screen for the entire four days, and whatever Thank I you. couldn't see, uh whatever I couldn't see live became compelling late-night viewing for me. What do the broadcasters think about all the "quote unquote" work?
1: Well, Once again, as I stated before, the broadcasters are also dear friends. Uh, The broadcasters, we have two courts where all of our games are played. Uh, Court number one, uh, we have two broadcasters, Stuart Thomas and Josh Thomas. Both of them are cousins of my wife and are not only avid sports fans themselves, but really are, if not amateur, I would say quasi-professional broadcasters, really do a very fine job. I brought them in uh, very early on, and they are very excited and enthusiastic about participating in the tournament and uh, putting in in the time and the commitment that it takes to not only prepare for the broadcast before each game, uh, but really to do a stellar job on the broadcast. On court two, we have Ira Lipsy. Ira Lipsy had his own radio show here in Memphis, Tennessee, for many, many years. Uh, Another avid sports fan, really knows a great deal about sports in general, but specifically about basketball, and he provides a wonderful play-by-play and color uh, uh, commentary on the other course. We really have a great team, uh, a team of not only broadcasters who provide a real flair for professionalism, but also who are committed to the, the idea of what we're doing and are committed to putting in the time and energy to help and ensure that we can provide the best broadcast and best experience for everyone who can't be in Memphis with us.
0: Okay, one second. Let me just... Just to give the listeners a sense of what the four days are like for you, how much of the action do you actually get to see?
1: I try to watch every single game. Uh, Day one, I make sure to watch every game because the format of our tournament, unlike other tournaments across the country, we do not have buys, uh, and every single tournament participant has the opportunity to walk away with a Tier 1 championship. So we do our very best to see the team's, in the best way we can, recognizing it's a preseason tournament, uh, so most teams have not really played or had a, a, a real uh, extensive schedule by the time they come to Memphis, but to seed the 1 through 16 as best we can. And really our goal is to get the top eight teams into Tier 1 and the bottom eight teams into Tier 2. The teams that win on Day 1 go to Tier 1, and the teams that lose on Day 1 go to Tier 2. Tier 2 is then reseeded based on their performance on Thursday. So uh, there are three of us who make it our business to make sure we see every game, so that way we can most effectively re-see Tier 2. And we usually do a very, very good job with that. I think if you'll go back and look at the uh, statistics of the tournament, you'll note that the Tier 2 championship is almost always a 1 versus a 2 or a 3. Um, because we do a very effective job once we have the opportunity to see the teams play on the court of mm-hmm. reseeding the tier two in a way that gets the teams where they're supposed to be. Tier one is always, uh, is always not as successful as evident by Hafter's, uh, bracket buster this year, winning the championship from the number six seed.
0: Well, we'll get, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the, if you look at the final four teams for this year, it was the one, five, six, and seven teams.
1: Absolutely. This, this year's tier one bracket was a funny one. Uh, in years past, we have always had one or two teams that seemed to be a bit uh, ahead of the rest of the group. You had last year EULA, who, if you look back at their season, they were simply in a league of their own. The year before, Chicagoland from Deerfield, Illinois, were very much in a league of their own. So you always had one or two teams who really stood out uh, amongst the rest. This year, you literally had eight teams who could have won the championship. Uh, if you look just down the bracket from North Shore to Frisch, To Eula, to Hafter, to TABC, even to Hillel, who won tier two. All of these teams were were very well coached, played extremely well, had talent on both sides of the ball. Um, And really, it was just a matter of matchups. And uh, as we were putting the bracket together, we laughed. Eula at the number seven seed, Eula could win the whole tournament with no problem. Uh, Frisch at the number two seed could definitely win the tournament. North Shore, who is one of our favorites uh, here in Memphis, we love having the kids from North Shore. This is now the third year that they've made it to the championship, but uh, not been able to get over that hump. So it really was a tier one bracket that was wide open, and and we're thrilled that Hafter joined us and uh, very excited for them to have taken home the trophy.
0: And we're going to touch on several of the points you just made because a lot of that makes for the compelling. Uh, turnout of what happened at the event this year going back to the tournament let's go through day by day Uh, so Thursday these kids they get off a plane they drive to the gym and are pretty much on the court right away in recent years have you seen that make a difference in particular teams play on day one
1: we we have which is why in the past few years most of the teams come in Wednesday Uh, I would say of the 16 teams that participate and the 15 teams that are out-of-town teams uh Between 12 and 13 come in on Wednesday. That way they're well-rested Wednesday night uh, and are ready Thursday. Very few come in Thursday morning. I believe this year on Thursday, Frisch came in, TABC came in, and Kohelet from Philadelphia. But all the other teams have come in on Wednesday.
0: So I know that the announcers were probably mentioning it for a talking fodder during the game, but Chicagoland going down very early in the tournament like they did to Weinbaum. Whatever the reason, that game was compelling because of the day one upset. Have these become commonplace at the Cooper tournament, and is there a sense that the morning of you find yourself almost looking forward to an upset happening?
1: Well, we would love when upsets happen, just like in the uh, NCAA March Madness, there's nothing more exciting than a Cinderella making a run. So we are certainly thrilled uh, when an upset happens. We want to make sure that to the best of our abilities, we don't create an upset which pins uh, two Tier 1 quality teams against one another, and one gets knocked out in the first round, because that would certainly uh, upset the bracket. But Chicagoland has been a very, very strong team for the past two or three years. They probably have, arguably, the best player in the country on their team.
0: Josh Newlander? But
1: but after Josh Newlander, they, they really don't have a whole lot of support, and so... The the expectations of the tournament committee was that, A, you have Josh Newlander, who can pretty much score at will and is a tremendously uh, strong on-the-ball defender. And if you can put around him four relatively strong players, that's a team that's very dangerous. At least what we found at this point in the season is that Chicagoland has not found that four to put around him. Uh, and so I don't think Chicagoland was correctly seeded as a Tier 1 team. I think they were more correctly a Tier 2 seed. And I think Weinbaum Boca was stronger than we had anticipated. I think they were probably a very, very uh, high Tier 1 team or a very low Tier 2 team. So I was pleased for Boca, and I think Chicagoland uh, naturally found its way to where it should be.
0: Okay. Coming out of Day 1, you have essentially two different tournaments going on because of the Tier 2 uh, the Tier 2 bracket as well. Who came up with the idea? for How did you guys come up with the idea for that?
1: Well, we, we wanted to make sure, and uh, it's very difficult because you have teams like North Shore, Frisch, EULA. These are schools with hundreds and hundreds of students. And then you have teams like Denver and Memphis and Atlanta and St. Louis, and these are teams with, and these are schools with 25, 30, and 35 kids. And while certainly there are times over the year where one of these small schools from a southern town like Houston or Dallas or Memphis or Atlanta or Denver might put together a team that can compete at the highest levels, for the most part, you're really talking about two very different dynamics: schools with hundreds of students to choose from, and schools where essentially whoever would like to play is on the team. And so while it's important to have the integrity of a tournament where every team has the opportunity to win and where we don't relegate any team to a Tier 2 or Tier 3 status even before they get on the court, uh, once day one goes through, it's very clear that for the most part those larger uh New York, L.A., Florida area schools with the more students uh, are in the Tier 1 bracket, and then we provide an equally competitive opportunity for the smaller schools to compete in Tier 2. I see it less of a dynamic of the good teams and the bad teams and more dynamic of the much larger schools and the much smaller schools and the uh, talent availability based on those larger schools and the smaller schools.
0: Right, so it gives everybody a chance at a at a championship, even if it's not the tier one trophy. It's another. Ch- it's a championship that they can stick around and play for. It's not just one and done, or one and going to a you know a uh, a sixteenth place game, or a thirteenth place game, or however it would be.
1: Correct, and not only a championship, but a meaningful championship. Not only to come to Memphis and come in fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth place, and come out with a Tier 4 championship, but to come into a situation where, okay, you, whatever name your school from a small city, you lost to EULA in the first round. But now you're competing against schools your size in a meaningful, competitive uh, tournament, and you can walk away with a 3 1 record in a Tier 2 championship in a national event. That's something that has significance and, and is meaningful for the teams and the school.
0: Moving on to day two, it brought about an interesting Tier 1 matchup, which you uh, which you alluded to earlier. Number 2 Frisch taking on Number 7 EULA. Ironically, the championship matchup for last year's Saracek tournament. When putting together the seedings, Was this considered? I mean, did someone say, hey, look what could happen, or was this completely organic?
1: What was considered was our efforts to, as much as possible, keep schools from the same leagues not playing one another in the first two rounds. So Mm -hmm. it it was not uh, any intention to say, hey, let's repeat the Sarachak final of last year. But instead, it was the idea of trying to make sure that we didn't have teams who played last week and will likely play again next week playing here again in the second round. So that was, that was the idea. Now I will tell you, Frisch, we absolutely love Coach Davidoff is great. The boys from Frisch are wonderful. We enjoy having them every single year. Frisch has been seeded number two in our tournament now for three years and have never made it out of the second round. So to some degree, it's become, become a bit of a stigma for the boys from Frisch that they usually have a cakewalk in the first game. And then when the second game comes around, they never seem to make it into Shabbos uh, as a Final Four contender. So there was a bit of a buzz around the tournament. A, you have Eula, who uh, has gotten Frisch's number on a number of occasions. Uh, and then number two, you have a team that has not uh, successfully gotten out of, uh, of the second round of our tournament, or so really made for a, for a great matchup.
0: Ironically, preseason, Frisch is considered to be the number one team in the issue, or was considered to be, the championship favorite up here in the Yeshiva League.
1: There's no question. They have an extremely talented team. And, and if you saw the games here in Memphis, in Saturday night and Sunday, you really saw their talent uh, really being exhibited on the court. They are incredibly fast. They play great defense. They have shooters all over the court. They are a very talented team. And come later on in the season, I would not want to face Frisch at any game, uh, or at any point, because I think they're incredibly dangerous. Uh, but... Eula seems to have their number. Uh, It's a great rivalry, an East Coast-West Coast rivalry, and uh, it's one that uh, has not only uh, taken place at our Cooper tournament, but at Sarachek, and it's just a a really great game between Frisch and Eula. And uh, at least in Memphis, the Panthers got the best of the
0: Cougars. Ironically, winning this game would make Eula the only non-Yeshiva League participant in the Tier 1 Final Four, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, Day 2 being a Friday means that the kids get the chance to spend Shabbos together in Memphis. I know that this is the eighth time for you, but... What's that experience like? What type of Shabbos program do you put together for the kids?
1: Well, I will tell you and we didn't we didn't speak about Thursday night at all and I will just briefly touch on it for you, but there's no question that uh, we try to put on the most competitive basketball event we can. Uh, and we, we really feel very that we've achieved a great level of success in that. But more important, or equally as important to the basketball, is the experiences we provide the kids off the court. Uh, after all the kids play on Thursday, Thursday night, we have a welcome banquet where all the participants, their coaches, and their families, we all join together for a Great Southern barbecue. We always bring in a speaker to come speak to the kids. This year we had Scal LeBcA, the, the number three excuse me, high school prospect in the country, who came and spoke uh, to the kids, had dinner with them, took pictures with them, shared with them his story of uh, being in Haiti during the earthquake and losing his family to that devastating wow. earthquake and coming to Memphis, Tennessee. And Scal actually just uh, signed with Kentucky on Thursday, so we're all very excited for him. Last year, uh, two-time NBA champion Mike Miller, came and spoke and hung out with the kids, so we try to provide the kids Thursday night with an exciting experience, uh, something that can uh, inspire them, motivate them, give them a lesson to take home, and Shabbos is no different. We really try to plan a meaningful Shabbatone for all the kids, that they not only take away the excitement of the basketball elements of Memphis, but that they really have uh, all kinds of memories and lessons and inspiration to take with them when they go back to their respective cities. Uh, We all daven together on Friday night at one of the local shuls, and it's really a sight to see, to see nearly 400 young athletes from across the country wearing their respective uh, team keepas all sitting together and davening together. It's really very beautiful. Friday night, we separate all of the groups, uh, all of the kids into groups of somewhere between six and ten kids, and they go and eat in the homes of members of the of the uh, Memphis community, when we were a tournament of only three teams, we began that practice of, uh, of sharing Friday night dinner in the homes of Memphis families. And as the tournament has grown, this has continued to be a highlight of the event. So we divide the kids up, usually two or three teams, groups of two or three students from each team. will go and eat together in a family's home, and then we all meet back together for an ONEG, and the ONEG is also usually an ONEG filled with either entertainment or uh, inspiration. Last year, Tamir Goodman came and spoke to the kids, and he was magnificent. This year, we went in a slightly different direction, and we brought uh, international comedic sensation Joel Chasnov. He came to Memphis to, uh, to speak to the kids and did about an hour comedy routine for the kids. Uh, then, Friday night, after the ONEG is over, after there's some Dibri Torah and some singing, the kids all go back to the hotel together. Uh, Shabbos morning, we all daven together. Kids give divrei Torah. The kids lead the davening, do the laning, and the haf Torah. After davening, we have a, a beautiful meat kiddish, uh, and then we have another speaker. This year, we is were there
0: ready any other kind kid. in Memphis?
1: I'm
0: sorry. Is there any other kind of kiddish in Memphis other than a meat <laughs> kiddish?
1: No, no. In Memphis, Tennessee, it's meat whenever you can get it. So after the Meat Kiddish, we have another speaker. This year we had Collins Chui. If that name doesn't ring a bell to you or to your listeners, Collins Chui is the sister of Super Bowl champion Michael Orr. And Collins Chui and her family were the subject of the blockbuster film The Blind Side. Collins came and spoke about her experiences with Michael Orr. Collins was actually the one who found Michael Orr. Uh, wandering around the streets of Briarcrest High School, where uh, where he was, and brought him into the Chewy home, and she spoke about her experiences with Michael, about uh, what it means to help others, what it means to not judge people by their outward appearances, and and how we can all help others, and gave a really beautifully uh, inspiring and motivational speech. After Collins was done, we all went back and had a wonderful lunch together, and then the kids all went back to the hotel for a little rest before the excitement of Saturday night started. So the Shabbaton portion for us is as important uh, as the basketball program. We want to make sure that the kids are engaged, are excited, are inspired, and are motivated. And uh, over the course of the entire Shabbaton, it is a requirement for us that one student from each team give it a our Torah. Um, and that is really a, a beautiful thing because we have, I would say, 14 13 to 14 of our teams are mainstream yeshiva high schools. But each year we do have one or two schools who are not modern orthodox schools or who come from a slightly different slant. And to hear them stand up and present Divrei Torah from their perspective, uh, from their educational background, uh, it really provides for a very, very beautiful experience. So we do everything we can to ensure that the excitement on the court is tremendous uh, and the inspiration and motivation off the court is equally as exciting.
0: That sounded amazing. So Shabbos ends, and then basketball resumes with the semifinals. Like I just said, three of the four teams in the semifinals, and eventually the two teams in the Tier 1 finals, Haftar and North Shore, the winner of the Tier 1 consolation game, TABC, as well as eventual Tier 2 champion, Hillel, were all from the Yeshiva League. In fact, over the four days, the five Yeshiva League teams that participated were in a combined 16-4, and with two of those four losses coming at the hands of fellow Yeshiva League participants, and the other two at the hands of EULA. So after years of taking a back seat to the teams from California and Chicago and other cities around the nation in the Cooper tournament and in Sarachek as well, is it safe to say that 2014-2015 is the year that the New York, New Jersey metro area can, uh, you know, puff out its chest as a dominant region once again?
1: There is no question. The Yeshiva League is back. Uh, I have not seen the type of talent and domination from the Yeshiva League uh, in at least six years, if not longer, uh, top to bottom. North Shore, Hafter, TABC, Uh, Hillel as well, just top to bottom outstanding. And I recognize that uh, there were several schools that uh, are really at the top of the uh, Yeshiva League standings that didn't participate in our tournament. So I really think that this is the year for a sweep of not only the Cooper Invitational, but quite possibly Sarachek as well. And I I think that the Yeshiva League has uh, much to look forward to this year uh, and should be very proud of their uh, performance here
0: in Memphis. Arguably, you saw four of the six, uh, the top six, uh, not counting DRS and Ramaz, who are also considered to be top six, top five, six, ten in the Yeshiva League. So you really got a good sampling of the best of what we have from up here. Welcome back live to the Colt Report on the Malcolm Siegel Network. I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg. Again, that was part one of the two-part interview that was held with Josh Kahane. Next week, we will do part two. Uh, and in the next week's portion, we will talk about my favorite Cooper moment, why Saturday night is the most amazing of the entire four days, and we'll also get the chance to dissect the semifinals and the championship game. And I'm going to give Josh a chance to take over the Words from the Wise segment for the week. Generally, I would have played the interview in its entirety, but given how much has gone on in the past week in both basketball and hockey and how much is going to happen this week, especially with Hafter and North Shore meeting up again, I thought it was only proper that we have to actually give time to the leagues and to what they're doing. And next week, we'll we'll pick up right where we left off. And believe me, the second half of the interview was just as amazing as the first one was. So now we're actually going to move back over to Yeshiva League play, and two very, very amazing things happened this week. One, the MYHSAL website got the standing schedules and results up, so I actually have a full schedule and a full slate of games to report to you. The second thing is Jewish Hoops America put up their first Top 25 ranking, and we'll go through that after we go through the recaps of this week's games and start talking about a little bit about next week's games. So, first of all, we're going to we're going to drop into uh boys varsity basketball In boys varsity basketball on the week. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 games. Uh, four of the Cooper teams were in action over the week. The first one, we'll talk about Frisch. Frisch, who, as we mentioned, uh, dropped out in day two of the, of the Cooper tournament. Uh, they were able to rebound and down Heschel big 74, 44. Um, Need to get back on track uh, and a big win over a two and two Heschel team, really really important for them, especially such a dominating victory after what they may call getting embarrassed in in the in the Cooper tournament. Not really an embarrassment, but given where they were supposed to finish or where they were projected to finish, taking that loss really did not have to, <laughs> did not do much for their spirits. And so a thirty uh, point drubbing of Heschel probably probably lifted it up. Um, the the win even more important though, uh, because Heschel rebounded to down Cooper Tier Two Tournament Champion Hillal fifty six uh, sorry fifty nine fifty six. It makes it even more important because now that leaves them as the only unbeaten team out west. Frisch I'm referring to Frisch right now is three and zero, uh, and they'll they'll end up taking on Ramaz later on this week, who at five and one right now is the next closest competition. Uh, the only other Cooper Tournament team to lose this week was TABC. The Storm fell to Ramaz 35 to 29 on Wednesday night, which completed Ramaz's double up on the week after they also took out JEC 60 to 55. So Ramaz out to a 5 and 1 start. The only blemish on their record was a five, uh, sorry, was a st- uh, one point stunner loss to MTA earlier this month. So this sets up a matchup this week, this coming. Thursday, where Frisch will go to Ramaz. Frisch at three and zero, Ramaz at five and one, and the two of them look to be right now the two strongest teams out west. Uh, Frisch having downed Heschel twice, Ramaz uh, beating a variety of teams, and are right there at five and one. So, winner of this game will have a decided advantage. Uh, Frisch. If with a win, we'll stay undefeated. It's anywhere Maz to its second loss, uh, which will join JEC. But the... Ramaz win would make everybody in the West uh, give everybody in the West a loss, so it brings everybody back down towards the pack, and not it may make teams a little less scared of Frisch, given the loss in the Cooper tournament plus a loss to Ramaz coming back home. That's not to say Ramaz is a is a bad team. Ramaz is a very good team, and a loss to Ramaz isn't necessarily a negative thing. So MTA also pulled out a twofer this week. MTA demolished Kushner 45-19, to 19, uh, but early on in the week, the Lions also dropped uh, Derek 67 67-60. Again, another huge game for uh, Adam Matovich. Matovich dropped 29 points on MTA. Oriol Bozoglu also added 14 for Derek Willie Kluger, uh, the, uh, the dagger in the hearts of Derek this week, reigning threes all over the place for a total of 23 points. Out East North Shore, another participant dropped flapbush 42 to 27. Flapush actually led 17-13 at the half, but were held in check by North Shore's stifling defense in the second half. We also had a uh, an all Brooklyn battle on our hands with Mag and David giving YDE their first loss, 46-42. So Mag and David brings their record up to 500 and uh, pulls them back within the range for the pack. Rambam uh, not nearly enjoying their season thus far at 0 7, losing to JEC by 6 and to DRS by 27 this week. In the DRS game, Gabriel Leifer. Scored 15 points, and Judah Levine chipped in 8 for the Wildcats. It's a second victory on the week for the Wildcats, who also downed Hank 47-31. to So the Wildcats stay undefeated at 4-0 and sit uh, above a bubble of two 2-0 teams, North Shore and Hafter. We'll get to the standings uh, right now. In the East, DRS, as I just mentioned, at 4-0. North Shore and Hafter each at 2-0. We'll get to that this week. Uh, one, of the, one of those will... Uh, one of those will be gone, as North Shore and Hafter will actually meet up this coming Tuesday in a rematch of the Cooper Tournament Championship, as well as the Mag and David Championship. So a very exciting game to get to if you can. It's at Hafter on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. After them, YDE at 2-1, Mag and David at 2-2, and 2, Flatbush at 2-3, and 3, Hank and Derechatoura each have one win. Hank's at one and two. Derechatoura at one and five. Rambam is zero and seven. Uh, Rambam will look to try to get on the get in the win column when they face YDE this coming Tuesday night. Out west, which is where the rest of the games will happen this week as well, Frisch is three and zero. As we said, they will face the five and one Ramaz Rams this coming Thursday night. You also have Hill on TABC who played today uh, at 2 p.m. I don't have a score for that, but that's also big because for the same reasons that if Ramaz loses, Ramaz is at, Ramaz is at two losses. Hill on TABC, it gives you, it gives an advantage early on in the season, and the loss puts one of those teams down to two uh, two losses on the season already. So Hillel and TABC Hillel at three and one, TABC at two and one. That's not including today's game. You'll have Heschel who is at three and three after their split on the week. MTA at three and three. Uh, JEC is ahead of those two. JEC is actually at three and two. The the uh, standings board on the Yeshiva League website myhsal.com, dot com does it in order of winning percentage, so it doesn't put the actual wins as the as the uh, benchmark for how they set their standings. And then you have S A R at one and two, and Kushner at zero oh and six. So let's actually go take a look now at the Jewish Hoops America top twenty-five jewishhoopsamerica.com. dot uh, Every year they put out their top twenty-five national ranking. And taking the top spot this week is going to be Hefter. I don't think you can really argue with that after their two, uh, after the two ch- uh, championships uh, early on in uh, in tournament uh, play, and as well as the fact that they're undefeated right now in uh, Yeshiva League play and outside Yeshiva League play. So no, no, no. I don't really think you can you can argue with after being at the top. North Shore at 2, I think they're playing like it, like the number 2 team in the nation. And TABC at 3, Eula at 4, Ramaz at 5. I guess Eula and Ramaz you can go back and forth with. Eula taking out Frisch may give them the advantage over Ramaz, but Ramaz right now is playing extremely well, having 5 wins to Eula's 2 on the year with the Cooper tournament. Uh, DRS at 6, and Frisch at 7. I guess you had to know Frisch would drop down to 7 after, or would start out at 7 uh, after after the showing at Cooper. You have a whole host of, uh, of out-of-town teams in between. You have Flatbush at 10, Heschel at 15, Hillel right behind it at 16, so uh, that falls in line with Heschel defeating Hillel this week. Uh, this actually came out last week. What I'm giving you is what came out this past Tuesday, so don't, uh, don't don't believe that it takes into account everything that has gone on since then. The new rankings will be out this Tuesday. JEC is at 19, MTA at 21, Mag and David at 22. Other Yeshiva League teams receiving votes uh, SAR, Hank, and... That's it, S-A-R and Hank. So that leaves a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's 14 Yeshiva League teams ranked in the top, I guess you would call that top 35 right there. That really does show a very dominating dominating, uh, presence for New York, New Jersey area, as we discussed with Josh Kahane. Let's head over to JV now. Where there are only four games on this on this past week, and there are only four coming up we 're going to just roll through them very quickly uh, y d e dropped Ezra earlier on in the week and then took on Share last night. Stars pulled out to an early lead, leading 10-4 at the end of the first. But YDE stormed back in the second to tie the game at 15 and eventually taking the lead. In the third, teams really were even. Going to the fourth, they were tied at 30. In the fourth, the Stars were able to pull away and ended up with a final score of 44-37. So this was the Stars' first victory on the season. YDE, with their split on the week... Would end up falling to two and two. Other action on the week: North Shore dropped DRS thirty-five thirty-one, and Mag and David defeated Rambam forty-nine thirty-two. So this really was an all East week in terms of basketball. Uh, coming up on the week: uh, Ezra will face Mag and David. Hillal will face SAR. Share and DRS will do battle, and MTA and TABC will face MTA and TABC is going to be a very big battle at West. MTA coming off of their victory over SAR, uh, their, only, their only game on this season, TABC at 2-0, right above them. So they're the only two teams left in the JV West undefeated. So the winner of this game will remain the only undefeated team, while the loser falls back into a pack of one- and 2 lost teams. Quickly running through the standings in JV, out East... There are four undefeated teams. Uh, Hafter, Mag and David, and Hank are all at 2-0. Floppish right behind them at 1-0. YDE, as we said, 2-2. North Shore is 1-1, so both 500 teams right there. DRS at 0-1. Shari is 1-2. Ezra and Rambam both still winless. Ezra at 0-2. Rambam at 0-3. Out West... TABC is at 2-0, MTA undefeated also at 1-0. Again, like I said, one of those teams will drop at the end of this week. JEC and Heschel each at 2-1, Kushner at 2-2. Ramaz and SAR are both one and one. So SAR rebounding last week after their loss to, uh, to MTA. Uh, Frisch and Hillel both with zeros in the win column. Surprising for Frisch, but again only having played one game, they are 0 and one. Hillel is at 0 and four. Moving over to hockey now, we're going to start out in the West in varsity hockey this week. Big matchup this week, SAR and Frisch. Uh, Frisch came out strong, getting on the board first with a goal. and had momentum until under a minute left in the first period when SAR junior defenseman Ozzy Lavi picked off a pass at the line and deked and ripped a shot upstairs to tie the game at one. Frisch immediately responded following the goal. And had a breakaway, uh, but was denied by stellar goaltending of senior Gil Fortgang uh, in the first period. Frisch would end up outshooting SAR 13 to six. In the second, SAR came out strong, carried the play, and with 3:12 left in the second, senior captain Jacob Unger scored a power play goal on a one timer off the, off a the feed from uh, from senior Josh Weiss at the point. So it would make a two to one SAR at the end of the second period. Third period, back and forth pretty much with 8:17 left in the third frisch would tie it at two on a uh, on a bounce thanks to the uh, the rink a goal uh goal uh, gave Frisch a little bit of momentum and took the play to SAR late in the third, but Fortgang made several huge saves to keep the game tied at two. So we would go to overtime. Uh, in the overtime, SAR pretty much took advantage uh, with Jacob Unger scoring the game-winning goal midway through on a scramble in front to give the Sting the victory. Uh, Fortgang, stellar in net for SAR uh, Unger scoring two big goals. He leads the team with six goals in three games. So SAR. They are now 3-0 and with a big week ahead of them. They'll play JEC on Tuesday and will then take on TABC on Thursday. TABC reeling a little bit after going to Ramaz and only walking away with a 2-1 victory. One can question whether it was the rubber floor at Ramaz, which Mo Fuchs has said is the biggest home court advantage in 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 the league, uh, but either way, TABC going to Ramaz. TABC is is better than a one goal victory over Ramaz. So TABC will come into this matchup against SAR. The game will take place in SAR in the rink on Thursday. So SAR with the home advantage here, getting uh, getting TABC in the rink early on. JEC defeated Heschel 14 to nothing. Uh, Ramaz took down Heschel 9 to 2. Also involving a West team, Kushner defeated Rambam 3-1 on Wednesday, Uh, Alec Rabinowitz two goals in the victory, Elon Slonim continuing his terrific scoring season, adding the third goal for Kushner. Not a great week for Rambam, who also fell to DRS early on in the week last Monday, 3-0. Flopush and Hafter played on Thursday night, Hafter soundly defeating the Falcons 7-0 nothing. Evan Fader scoring two goals in the victory, as well as Emil Schertz. So Hafter this week, two big games coming up. Hafter is going to face Frisch, looking to rebound after that loss to SAR that we discussed. Hafter on a roll. The Hawks now 3-0, while Frisch is 2-0-0-1. One of these two teams is going to have uh, major bragging rights. Frisch already having defeated DRS this year to give them an inter- inter-divisional victory. Right now, the West is actually 4-0 in their interdivisional game. Looking to uh, looking to keep that streak going. I have to also end up playing Hank later on in the week on this coming Wednesday. Right now, Hank is sitting right ahead of them. Uh, Hank is 3-0-1, with their only blemish being the overtime loss to DRS, who sits atop the division. Hank will come into that game having won their last two in a row. Uh, their second one being this week, uh, a 5-3 victory over Mag and David. Mag and David also falling to North Shore 12-1 to earlier on in the week. So coming up this week, several games on the slate. DRS and Solomon Schechter will face off Monday, uh, tomorrow. Frisch Hafter, uh, North Shore Megan David will also play tomorrow, as well as Kushner-Ramaz, another big game out west. Kushner already defeated Ramaz once in Kushner, and looking to make the sweep on the season. SAR and JEC will play on Tuesday, as will DRS and North Shore. So DRS, playing two days in a row, have Solomon Schechter Monday, and North on Tuesday Wednesday big slate of games Hank Hafter Romba Megan David Heschel MTA um, and Thursday will feature Solomon Schechter Flatbush and TABC SAR Saturday will Saturday night will have an interdivisional, an inter sorry an inter an inter yeah an interdivisional matchup with Romba and Ramaz doing battle and next Sunday Flatbush and Hank will face off in Flatbush so let's take a look at the standings. In the East, DRS is in first at 5-1 with 10 points. Hank comes in right there after them at 3-0-0-1, oh, oh, 7 points. Hafter below those, 3-0, oh, 6 points. Rambam, 1-2-0-1, oh, 3 points. Flatbush at 1-3 with 2 points. North Shore right behind them at 1-4 with 2 points. And Solomon Schechter and Megan David uh, still looking for their first victory. Solomon Schechter at 0-1. Mag and David at 0-5. Solomon Schechter facing JEC earlier today. Don't have a score for that. Uh, we should have that score for you next week, though. Out in the West, Kushner, perfect 5-0, 10 points. SAR, perfect 3-0 at 6 points. Ramaz, 3-4, trying to make their way back onto the uh, the positive side this coming week. Will, uh, is at 3-4, also at 6 points. Uh, Frisch, 2 0, 0 and one with 5 points. TABC and both with four points, TABC at 2-0, MTA at 2-1, JEC again not counting. Today's game is 1-3, they have two points, and Heschel also looking for their first victory at 0-5. So now let's take a look at the rankings for this past week. Kushner stays at the top spot. 5-0 win over Romb- uh 5-0 with their win over Rambam, So they stay at number one. Haftar moves up to number two with their win over Flopwish, dropping TABC down to third after their close call over Amaz. Despite being on the road, again, still should have been a better outcome for the Storm. 4 is 5, uh, sorry, 4 is Frisch, and SAR is 5. Why did I do that? Well, SAR is going to move up from the 6 because of the victory. But I'm not going to I'm not gonna knock Frisch for an overtime loss in SAR's rink. Uh, I, I question whether or not the game would have been the same had it been on a regular court. So until Frisch and SAR meet in Frisch, right now I'm still going to have Frisch above them. But I will move SAR up over DRS, who falls down to the 6 spot. Hank stays at 7 and MTA at 8, Both both were idle this past week. Ramaz will stay at the 9 spot. Rambam stays at the 10. which stays at 11. Norschel will stick at 12. Mag and David at 13. JEC, Heschel, and Solomon Schechter at 14, 15, and 16 very quickly moving over to JV uh Monday night DRS and Rambam faced DRS and Rambam the two top teams in the east leading into this game DRS was uh, DRS and Rambam both came into the game at 3 and 0 at the end of it that would be Rambam as the only undefeated team in the JV east left uh, with a 2 nothing victory two goals by Harry Tannen on the night spurring Rambam to a 4 and 0 record dropping DRS to 3 and 1 it was an interesting week for Mag and David. Mag and David came into the week uh, losing 6-4 to North Shore to start out Monday night. Abe Goldman scoring 5 in the victory for North Shore. The two teams will actually meet again tomorrow night to end the uh, home and home but uh, it wouldn't be the uh, the next game for Mac and David. Mac and David actually comes in now with a little bit of momentum after having defeated Hank 6-5 in overtime this week. Michael Mamie with four goals in the victory, uh, uh, holding Joseph Lindenblatt for Hank to only one after starting off the season red-hot in scoring. So, right now, the East looks like this. Rambam is at 4-0, DRS at 3-1, Hank at 2-1, 0-1 after the overtime loss, Floppers stays at 2-0, being idle this past week, North Shore now at 2-3, Hafter gets their first victory on the season, defeating YDE 6 to nothing on Wednesday night, so there, uh, they are now 1-1, Megan, after their first win, now 1-3, and Shari, Tora, and YDE are still looking for the first victory, they are uh, 0-2 and 0-3 respectively. One of those teams may actually get their first win this coming week as the two will do battle on Monday night. So the basketball team, the basketball JV teams uh, faced off last night and the hockey JV teams are going to meet up tomorrow night. Moving over to the west, TABC, just like their varsity counterparts, downed Ramaz 2-1. One. This one was actually an overtime win in uh, in Ramaz. So TABC getting their second win of the season uh would be the second one, actually over Amaz, also on the year. There are only two games to that point, but they would end up losing later on in the week to SAR five to nothing. So SAR jumping out of the gate strong at two and zero, taking down a very big, uh, a very big opponent. TABC. This is the, I believe it's the third year in a row that TABC has gone into SAR and has lost. Last year, as course, of a slew of injuries and people who weren't there. This is actually a legitimate victory for S.A.R. and a very convincing one at Well as well, uh, dominating them by a score of five to nothing. Also on the week, J.E.C. shut out Hillal five to nothing to stay undefeated at three and zero. And uh, and Westchester and Hillo faced off last night. Hillel winning that game four to one. So let's take a look at the West JV standings. The West JV standings are as follows: Frisch and JEC both undefeated at three and zero. SAR following behind them at two and zero with four points. TABC also with four points, but a two and one record and the tiebreaker going to SAR. MTA at 1-2, and Hill at 1-4, and four, Ramaz at 0-2, oh and, and Westchester at 0-3. Oh Let's move over to the rankings for the JV. Rambam takes, uh, stays at the 1 spot, first stays at 2. SAR moves up to the 3 spot after the big win over TABC this week, while DRS drops down to number 4 after their loss to Rambam. Flappish will stay at 5, TABC stays at 6, JEC will move up to 7. Hank will, will drop from 7 to 8. North Shore stays at 9. Mag and David will get a big jump after their overtime victory um, and will move up to the ten spot from number 12. Haftar will uh, we'll drop down to 11. Ramaz down to 12. MTA, Hillel, Westchester, Darchei Erez, and Shari Torah all stay at their spots from 13 to 17. We're going to quickly run over to girls basketball before we go and just give you the standings. Uh, girls varsity A in the East: Ramaz is three and one, Floppish two and one, Hafter at one and one, Central at one and two, Heschel, North Shore, and Hank all winless. Heschel at zero and three, North Shore zero and one, Hank at zero and two. Out west: SAR perfect four and zero, Hillel and Mayanote both two and one, at two and two. Frisch, one and one and Kushner at one and two. The girls varsity B league SKA at perfect four and o. Elon at one and o. Bruria at three and one. Megan David at two and one shall at one and two. Shalamus and Shari both winless. Shalamus at o and three. Shari at o and four. So that wraps up varsity and moving over to girls JV basketball in the east. North Shore at three and o. Flopush two and o. Central at one and one. Ramaz at one and two and Hafter at o and two. Out west Mayonote Note four and one. S.A.R. 3-1, and one. Frisch 2-2, two and two. Westchester and Kushner both winless, Westchester at 0-3, and, and Kushner at 0-4. We have just about enough time for a Words from the Wise before we go. Uh, this is actually pretty apropos given the radio show and what we talk about. You can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. Once again, a huge thank you to my guest tonight, Josh Kahane, uh, for part two of our amazing interview. Please tune in next week at 7 p.m. right here on the stream. If you missed any part of any episode this season, you can catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., or you can find The Court Report on iTunes or the Nachum Siegel Network app. Tomorrow morning, and the AM with Nachum Siegel from 6 to 9 a.m., live on the stream, nachumsegel.com, or on your radio, 91.1 FM, 90.9 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 FM rockland county once again a huge thank you to our sponsors crown trophy of brooklyn please give them a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your plaque and trophy needs for more of me you can hear me every tuesday morning on jm in the am at around 720 with the tuesday morning jm in the am sports update if you haven't visited the court report fan page on facebook please do so and click the like tab let's get that number up see you next week right here on the court report only on the Network. Hi, this is Elliot Weisselberg, host of The Court Report. Stay tuned for more amazing musical selections and programming only on the Nachum Siegel Network.